Attention. This podcast contains subject matter that may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. From out of the darkness, you hear voices that send shivers down your spine. That feeling of dread is undeniable when you notice the monster under the bed is trembling. The aliens are scrambling to get back to the mothership, and the vampires are refusing to rise. Your reptilian overlords are pleased to force on you two humans they swear are not their captives. Your hosts, Michael and Wendy. This is Eerie and Absurd. Welcome back to Eerie and Absurd. I'm Mike. I'm Wendy. And this is our... Missing Monday. Missing Monday. What is that? What? Oh my god. This is a Valerie Moss original podcast. Hey there, my name is Valerie Moss from Valerie's Variety Podcast in Studio 17 in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And I'm listening to Eerie and Absurd from Tennessee. And so should you. You can find me at ValerieMoss.ca. Oh man, you guys. Apparently. <laughs> Thanks for busting up in there. Oh my word. Oh my stars. <laughs> Everybody listen to Valerie's Variety Podcast. She's great. Very nice. Interestingly enough, today's Missing Monday is actually out of Canada. Oh. Out of Prince George, British Columbia, to be exact. And who is this about? This is actually about the Jack family. The whole family. The whole family. You want to do your sources first? Well, I've got lots of sources. So some of the main ones were from Canada's Missing website, Canada Unsolved website, uh, BC Local News, Prince George Daily News. And then I've got just a slew of newspaper articles that I'm going to link where I was getting some of the sources from. All right. Members of the Chislata Carrier Nation, the Jack family lived in Prince George, British Columbia. The family consisted of 26-year-old Ronald Ronnie Jack, 26-year-old Doreen Ann Jack, 9-year-old Russell Jack, and 4-year-old Ryan Jack. So Ronnie had recently been out of work due to a back injury he had suffered from a previous job working at a sawmill. The family had been regularly looking for work in hopes to better their position and to get off of welfare, but it was proven really difficult to find jobs. There just weren't a lot of them. However, on August the 1st of 1989, Ronnie was at the First Leader Pub in Prince George. While at the pub, Ronnie meets a man that ends up offering him a job after kind of hearing his his story and what was going on because, you know, he'd been searching for a job for a long time. This guy actually tells Ronnie that he has an opportunity for him at a nearby ranch or logging camp. Some sources say a ranch, others say a logging camp, so we're just going to use them kind of interchangeably. I know that they're two different things. Basically, he has an opportunity for bucking logs, and he even stated that Doreen could come and work as the ranch cook in the kitchen. 
So there's an opportunity for both of them. Now, this wasn't a permanent position. The job itself was only going to last around 10 to 14 days. And the main catch was the guy was in a hurry and he was actually going back to the ranch that night. If Ronnie wanted the job, he had to go back with him. Now, at the time, the family didn't have a vehicle. So them being able to arrive like the next day or even just a few hours later was just not going to work out since they didn't have the vehicle. So this was their moment of opportunity. They either took it or they lost it. Now, the ranch was supposedly near Clucklow's Lake, which was about 24 miles away from Prince George. And I do apologize if I said that wrong. Ronnie, super excited for this opportunity, tells Doreen the great news because this was, he was so excited about this. He'd been looking so long for a job and he's so very excited. Very hopeful, Doreen and Ronnie try to find someone that can watch their two children for the duration of the job. One article stated that Ronnie had called his brother around about 11.16 p.m. and spoke to him about the new job and tried to see if maybe he could watch their two children and they could stay with him just while they were gone. Unfortunately, his brother was unable to care for the children with such short notice. So Ronnie and Doreen were now a little concerned, and so they let the man know that they couldn't find a sitter for the two children. Well, the man tells Ronnie that it's not a big deal since the ranch had an on-site daycare facility. Other sources state that there were just other people on site that would be able to care for the children, kind of like everybody takes a turn watching the kids or something, Hmm. which kind of, I don't know. I've never been like a ranch. Maybe I could see that, but a logging camp, probably not. I don't see children there, but I don't know. I've never done it. Sounds too good to be true. It does. Yeah. Ronnie did call his mom, Mabel Jack, about two hours after speaking with his brother, While speaking with his mom, he told her that he was going to go out of town to work that morning and taking the whole family with him. Now, when she asked him, like, why so early? Like, why are you leaving so early? His response was that a guy had offered him a job and he was going to drive the family to the camp. They had to go that day. So it wasn't like, I can come back and get you. It's like, we have to go now. He also told her that they would only be there for, you know, the 10 to 14 days, but would be home in time for the oldest child to attend school when school was supposed to start back up again. So driving Ronnie over to um, his and Doreen's home, which was located on 2116 Strathcona Avenue, which is literally just a few blocks away from the pub. The man waited outside while the family packed up some of their belongings to take with them and they gathered the children up. And so once they got everything together, the family filed into the man's dark colored 4x4 pickup truck and left around 1.30 a.m. that morning. That's an odd hour to leave. but it's very early. Yeah. I mean, I get, I mean, there's a long time frame. Like he talked to his brother like before midnight Mm. and then by the time everything's all said and done, it's like 1 a.m. in the morning. I thought the guy was in a hurry. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a great opportunity. So he doesn't want to miss out on it. Exactly. I get the sense of urgency on. Yeah. He's really trying. He's trying to make some money and stuff. Mm -hmm. When the family didn't return as originally scheduled, they were reported missing on August the 25th of 1989 by Ronnie's father. According to their family, there was nothing to indicate or even cause them to assume that any members of the Jack family were not planning on returning. Ronnie's mother even stated that they only took a few blankets and just enough clothing to last them the trip. So they only took what they needed. Yeah. So it had been about 24 days before they reported them Yeah, missing. and maybe depending, I mean, I don't know how it is, maybe with like... If you're working on a ranch or in a logging camp, maybe there's an opportunity to stay a little longer, make a little more money. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't automatically think an entire family's been abducted. Exactly. Yeah. 
Now, I did find a tourist alert from August the 29th of 1989 in the Nanaimo Daily News with the message, Ron and Doreen Jack, Burns Lake, British Columbia, call Mabel Jack. What? Uh, What is a tourist alert? Uh, So basically, it's just like a small section in the newspaper that kind of lists urgent messages. Um, I cannot remember what they're called here in America, but it's it's just basically like if you're looking for somebody and especially back then, there was no cell phones, no computers in the sense of like where you could just kind of track somebody. It's like a personal ad. It's like a personal ad. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're looking for somebody that maybe the last thing you know is that they were in Burns Lake, British Columbia, the RCMP will issue an alert requesting that the person that you're looking for make contact with you because you're looking for them. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. So it's just an alert to say, hey, please call. Call mom. Then on September the 13th of 1989, the Lake District News runs an article stating that the family had been found. So the RC, what is it? RCMP. RCMP. Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I should have said that. Okay. So the alert was August the 29th. And then on September the 13th, This article runs stating that the family had recently contacted the Prince George RCMP and had actually let them know that they were okay. It also states that Ronnie not only contacted the police, but also contacted his father when he found out that the family was being publicized as missing. Okay. How many days is that? It's like 14 days. Yeah, so a little over two weeks. Mm -hmm. On February the 8th of 1990... Crime Stoppers runs an article in the Tribune offering a reward of $2,000 to anyone with information that could lead to the whereabouts of the Jack family. This article also describes the man that offered Ronnie and Doreen a job. He's described as a white male, 35 to 40 years old, with a clear complexion. He's between like 6 foot, 6 foot 5, weighing around 200, 275 pounds, and he's hefty but not fat. He had brownish red hair that went to the bottom of his ears. He also had a mustache and a short beard. Now, the patrons of the pub stated the man had been wearing a cap, a red checkered work shirt, faded blue jeans, a waist-length nylon jacket, and work boots that had leather fringe over the toes. But even with the physical description, not one person knows what the man's name is or who he is. That's a very detailed description. Yeah. But there is some speculation on who it is, right? Well, yes. So they do think that it potentially was uh, the famous serial killer of Canada, Pee Wee Picton. His brother, David Picton, has a striking resemblance to the person that's described. Yeah. But there's no proof that he was in that area. He is a convicted sex offender, but there's no proof that that he was even there in that area. He just favors the description. He does. Very... It's actually pretty spot on. Anyway. Yeah. That original article that ran in 1989, September 1989, stating that the family had been found. And then you go to February with the Crime Stoppers. I can only find that article in the Lake District News, at least with my sources that I can find. But I don't, if somebody contacted the Prince George police, I don't think that it was this family. Or if they were even contacted at all, maybe it was a miscommunication. I don't, I couldn't find any information to prove that they had actually contacted the father. So I don't, and this is the only article that runs that. I don't, I didn't see any others. Usually Hmm. I can find like duplicates, but I can't. Hmm. So this is suspicious. I'm not sure who did it and or why. I mean, to maybe throw the trail off if it actually did happen. Right. 
Now, by August the 2nd of 1992, the family has still not been found. At the time, the police had followed up on up to 316 separate leads and were actively pursuing 87. Even after receiving this many leads, the police never found any of the Jack family. They could not find a trace of them anywhere. But things got a little weird on January the 28th of 1996. So at 8.30 a.m., a phone call was forwarded from the Vanderhoof Detachment to the Prince George Police. The call was from an anonymous male who claimed he knew where the Jack family was located. The caller, who has still never been identified, stated, and I quote, The Jack family are buried at the south end of ranch. Whatever ranch they're talking about, it's an inaudible word. They don't know what ranch they're talking about. The entire message was only about 10 seconds long, and they even sent it to the University of British Columbia for analysis, but nothing ever came from it. They were trying to fill in the gaps or just try to figure out what was being said. Mm -hmm. Can they hear background noise? Maybe. I don't know, but nothing came from it. I did see where they were going to release it to the public, and if they ever did, I can't find it because I wanted to hear it just so I could get an idea of what it sounded like, but I can't locate it. So if there's anybody that can at least point me in that direction, I'd love to hear it. Now, the police were able to pinpoint where the call came from. So it was from a home in Stony Creek that had had a confirmed house party the same night the call was made to the police. The party had around six to eight attendees. At the time of the article's print date, the police had spoken with four out of the six attendees. I cannot locate any information on if the other two attendees were interviewed by the police. But I do know that they stated when they had interviewed the four, they were not considered suspects. They were just trying to get information because it could have just been a crank call. Yeah. Or I mean, it could have been real. Who yeah. knows? Could have been having a party and they're just being silly. They're dumb. And they started talking yeah. about what had happened. Mm -hmm. Now, several properties have been searched in connection to the Jack family's disappearance. The most recent occurring in 2019. Now, all searches have yielded nothing. And to this day, there is like there's no trace of the Jack family. How does an entire family disappear? Yeah. This is the first and only missing family case of its kind in Canada's history. And apparently whatever logging camp or ranch that they were going to, it apparently didn't even exist. They wouldn't have known that until they didn't arrive. Yeah. Yeah. At the time of their disappearance, Ronald Jack was around five foot six, 150 pounds with black hair, brown eyes. Doreen Jack was five foot two, around 111 pounds with black hair, brown eyes. Russell Jack was four foot, around 90 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. Ryan Jack was three foot, around 55 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. If you have any information concerning the whereabouts of any member of the Jack family, please contact Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477 or online at canadiancrimestoppers.org forward slash tips. You can also email the National Center for Missing Persons and Unidentified Remains which we're also going to link in the show notes, along with the case reference numbers for both of these organizations. Now, there's lots of speculation flying around. I do know that one of the main reasons why a lot of people think that this family has not been found is because they do feel like the Canadian police did not take their disappearance seriously. Because what family disappears? They also feel like due to the fact that they're indigenous, that they didn't take it serious and they didn't pull out all the stops like they should have to locate the family, especially with two missing children. Yeah. It's weird that a whole family just disappeared. And as far as I can tell, there's no other sightings of the other of the man that took them. It's 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 baffling. And there's so many articles, but they're all it's all the same information. There's just not a lot there. Yeah, there's just really not 
enough to go after anything. Yeah. I mean, unless you're just going to dig up every south border of every ranch. Well, they've searched so many places, but they, I mean, nothing's ever turned up. I mean, what if it it could have, the whole carload could have wrecked and just hasn't been found yet, depending on what happened. That's terrible. So if you know where the audio is, you can email us at eerieandabsurd at gmail.com. Yeah, I'd love to at least be able to find it or a link be sent to where I could listen to that 10-second audio. Yeah. I'm going to link pictures of the Jack family along with a drawing of the suspect. So that's it for this episode. Yeah. Until next time. Let's go to Canada and do a big search. No. Why? Because we'll get lost? Probably. We could move in with Valerie. She's not in that area. (laughs) 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 Okay, you guys. Bye. Until next time, fellow Absurdians, remember, everything you've heard is true, monsters are real, and the strangers in black are not a figment of your imagination. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes or your favorite podcast streaming service. Do you have a story you want to share? Contact us at eerieandabsurd at gmail.com or visit our website at eerieandabsurd.com to submit a suggestion. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram, both at eerie underscore absurd.